Welcome to a brand new episode of This Week in Apps. I'm Ariel from App Figures, and here's my weekly roundup of what you need to know about mobile apps and games for this week. And there's a new section coming up I think you'll like, so let's get started. The official ChatGPT app rolled out last week and has been one of the most downloaded apps in the US, the only country it was available in since it launched. It's currently sitting pretty at number three, where it was for most of last week. As funny as it may sound, ChatGPT is kind of late to the ChatGPT on mobile game, which is currently owned by apps like Genie and AskAI, but a week in, it's showing signs of good, healthy growth. Let's start by looking at downloads. In its first week on the App Store, ChatGPT made its way into 779,000 iPhones, according to our estimates. Since the first week was only the US and only the App Store, there isn't really much to break down here. Trend-wise, ChatGPT's downloads rose to a peak of 132,000 downloads on Saturday and fell a bit after, ending Wednesday with 95,000 downloads, according to our estimates. That's a pretty standard launch trend overall. Let's continue to revenue where things get interesting. In its first week on the App Store, ChatGPT already earned $347,000 of net revenue from its ChatGPT Plus in-app purchase. And that's net, meaning what OpenAI gets to keep after Apple takes its share. Given the cost of the in-app purchase, we estimate that there are a little over 20,000 mobile subscribers as of Wednesday of last week. If the trend continues, ChatGPT could do the same revenue as third-party competitors Genie and SKI by the end of its first 30 days. Kind of cool. Seeing these numbers strengthened my conclusion from last week's episode, and if you didn't see it, I'll link to it, which said that the next successful wave of AI apps using ChatGPT will add functionality on top of it and not just bring it to mobile devices. And FYI, ChatGPT is expanding beyond the US. This week, OpenAI announced rollouts in 44 countries. I'll cover those as soon as we have a few days of data, so make sure you're subscribed to the channel for those numbers. Okay, it's finally here. A few months ago, HBO announced it will merge content from HBO Max and the recently acquired Discovery Channel into a single app. I talked about why this makes sense a few weeks ago, but the gist is that more content in one app makes it easier to get more downloads. Easy, right? Max, the combo app, rolled out this week and did so in a way that confused a lot of folks. Instead of renaming the HBO Max app, the new Max is a new app, and HBO Max was removed from the App Store and Google Play roughly 24 hours after Max launched, and that includes TV devices also. Very confusing. And... There's a lawyer out there who would guess it has something to do with streaming rights in and outside of the US, but that lawyer isn't me, so I'm gonna move on. Pulling HBO Max, which was one of the highest earning apps in the US, sounds like a massive headache because those users would have to resubscribe to Max to keep their subscription, aka to keep paying HBO, but would they? Or would they see this as an opportunity to drop a subscription they got for that one big movie and just forgot to cancel? In its first two days on the App Store, Max earned a total $1.6 million of net revenue, and that's again after Apple's cut. For context, on an average day earlier in the week, HBO Max earned about $1.8 million, and that's without the surge of users having to switch over. So maybe not everyone got the memo or is using HBO Max as much to switch right now. Two days aren't enough to know what'll happen, so we'll have to wait and see. Two things to keep in mind are that HBO didn't rebrand, HBO Max did. Company versus app, that's important. And also, Max is only available in the US right now, while HBO Max is still available outside the US. It'll be interesting to see how that rollout impacts revenue when it happens. And next, are you into GIFs? If so, 
You must know Giphy, the search engine for GIFs, right? A few short years ago, Facebook's Meta bought Giphy, something most people don't realize. And for good reason, Meta didn't really do anything interesting with it. Meta finally decided it was time to let it go and sold Giphy to Shutterstock this week, a new home where it could probably offer more value. What's interesting here is the price Meta paid and then received. Interesting because they bought high and sold low. Meta paid a whopping $315 million for the engine and sold it for just 53. And no, I didn't forget a zero there. Given where Giphy is going, it's not inconceivable that Giphy will disappear as a service and get bundled into Shutterstock's platform, which begs the question, is Giphy even used anymore? Looking at downloads, the answer is no more than a grunt. Going back to 2021, Giphy saw roughly 200,000 downloads every week. That's while it was in Meta's hands. But that 200,000 dropped to 180,000, and within a few weeks, 160,000. And by the end of 2021, Giphy was averaging around 110,000 downloads, according to our estimates. 2022 wasn't kind to Giphy either. Over the year, weekly downloads dropped to just 80,000, and 2023 was even worse. Weekly downloads dropped to around 60,000 in April. That's a 70% drop. To answer my question with words this time, Giphy is used, but growth is completely gone, and given another year or so, it could drop so low, it will be gone as well. That's why Meta had to let it go, even at a huge loss. And before you jump at me and say Giphy is already integrated into a bunch of services like Slack, so the app isn't a true proxy, I know. But when you look at the trend and consider the drop, I think it's safe to say it does. This acquisition was less likely a product one and more likely a content one. Shutterstock, a stock photography and art company, is likely looking to cement its place as the owner of proprietary data that can be used to train AI. That's a lot of money for a data set, but the future of AI depends on training sets and will be less about the models and more about the data used to train them. So in the long term, this isn't a bad bet. Also, expect an AI GIF generator coming soon. It'll probably take the fun away from GIFs, but let's see. Before we get into the next insight, I have a new segment for you called Tidbits. Three short bits of knowledge based on numbers, and I'll do those really quickly. First, 13,091 new apps and games were released this week. 16% are games, 57% of the new apps went to the App Store, and the rest Google Play. Two, Character AI, a new AI app launched this week, rose to the top of the charts. It already crossed a half a million downloads, but it dropped since. Three, 61,575 iOS apps use app tracking transparency, ATT, right now, but only 9,379 are games. 84 get more than a million monthly downloads. And that's it for tidbits. Do you think this is a cool idea? Do you like this? Do you want to see this again? Let me know. All right, so let's talk insights again. Peloton has been trying to highlight and monetize its in-app content for a while now. That should help the company whether a market that's no longer as interested in hyper-expensive workout bikes as it was during lockdown. And strategically, it's a great move that can easily be backed up by data, or rather revenue, lots and lots of mobile revenue coming from fitness apps, even still. This week, Peloton took another step towards splitting its fitness content from its hardware by introducing new subscription tiers that are only for content, no bike required. The real question I have isn't why, but it's rather, why so late? See, downloads of Peloton's apps rose drastically early into the pandemic, hitting an all-time high in April where the app made its way into 430,000 iPhones and Android devices, according to our estimates. And that was back when the app was hardware first and content kind of second. 
So it wasn't really monetizing those users. But downloads are good for later, right? I think that was the case here. Downloads dropped after the peak because the app didn't really have that much to offer non-bike owners. But all of 2020 was massive in terms of downloads, averaging more than 250,000 downloads every month, about five times the downloads of 2019. 2021 is when trouble started brewing and downloads dropped, but at the same time, the app started getting more content and revenue started rising, finally. So downloads were on the decline and revenue was on the rise. Fast forward to 2023 and both are now on the decline or just keeping up. Daily downloads for Peloton have dropped significantly since 2022. Peloton started the year with around 8,000 daily downloads and ended April with just 2,500, according to our estimates. But news of the new tier spread fast and so far downloads are up significantly, 6,000 on Wednesday. Revenue is moving a bit differently. Peloton started 2022 with a little over $3.7 million of net revenue from the App Store in January, net meaning after Apple takes its cut. Net revenue rose to $4.5 million in April of 2022, but by November dropped to under $2.5 million. It recovered a bit in 2023, ending April with $3.7 million, but overall the trend is barely growing, and that's on a good day. All of this makes sense. Overall, Peloton is still a hardware company in most minds, which is a shame because they create so much content. This new push could be what changes those minds and could set Peloton up for big success in the fitness space. But there is a but. I don't think Peloton can do it with its flagship app as is. It needs a new app that's focused on fitness and nothing else from a branding standpoint. That's just what Peloton is associated with those bikes. So they have to change that. Focusing the flagship app won't have the same impact. It has to be something else. Before I dive into the next one, I have to put a disclaimer that this isn't about the politics behind the app and only about the numbers. With that out of the way, let's talk about public SQ or public square. I don't really know which way it is, but we'll go with public square for now. Don't know the name? I didn't either until I saw rising to the top of the app store. To get you up to speed, public square is a shopping directory that only includes businesses that follow pro-life pro-family, and pro-freedom values. I took that right off of their description. In the last 30 days, downloads of the fairly new app have been on the rise. They were getting about 1,000 downloads in late April, double by early May, and triple about a week later. According to App Intelligence, this week saw the biggest growth to date as downloads ballooned to more than 43,000 on Wednesday, the highest they've ever been. The app has since risen in rank and is now the fourth most downloaded app in the US App Store, which means that numbers will continue to rise, in my opinion, more than double. Since launch, the app was already downloaded 735,000 times across the App Store and Google Play, according to our estimates. And given this new popularity, we'll cross a million downloads in less than a week. Driving this seemingly instant growth is a battle between conservatives and progressives over marketing campaigns from Bud Light and products from Target that are causing backlash and boycotts from both sides. We time and time again see the impact politics has on apps, especially on the App Store and on Google Play. A good reminder for how fundamental the App Store and Google Play are for our daily lives so that they can be politicized. And that's where I leave you for this week. If you've learned something new, give this episode a like and consider subscribing to the channel if you aren't already. I'll see you next week.